0: MSW Media. This week, special counsel Robert Mueller told a federal judge that former Trump campaign chair Paul Manafort repeatedly lied to Mueller and the FBI, and that as a result, Mueller was voiding Manafort's cooperation deal. Then, the British newspaper The Guardian reported that Manafort secretly met with WikiLeaks leader, Julian Assange, three times. The last visit was in early 2016, in the midst of the presidential race and mere months before WikiLeaks released hacked Democratic emails. What does this mean for Paul Manafort, Robert Mueller, and the Trump presidency? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name is Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a CNN legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, a WGN radio host who will join us regularly on this podcast. So, Patty, I have to say this week uh, uh, is a lot busier than I thought it would be, but for a different reason. I anticipated when we saw that that initial status report a week ago from Mueller and the defense in Manafort's case that Manafort had been cooperating, that we'd see indictments soon as the result of his cooperation. It seemed very tidy. There you go. I thought things were proceeding (laughs) on one road. And while we've been dealt such a curveball— and and for that reason, I am so fortunate and honored that we are able to bring back Joyce Vance, who is you know one of our first return guests uh, on this podcast. Uh, jo- Joyce is the former United States Attorney, head federal prosecutor in the Northern District of Georgia. She's an MSNBC legal analyst. Uh, I really enjoy listening and reading her commentary both on MSNBC and in Twitter and elsewhere. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again, Joyce. Choice.
1: I'm I'm glad to be back, but I'm afraid you've given me Sally Yates's old job in Georgia. I'm actually from North Alabama. Oh my God,
0: close. <laughs> close! I'm so sorry, <laughs> um, but. Um, in any event, this is such big news. I know we we have a lot to talk about. And yeah. to me, um, you know, I think the first thing that it's helpful to give listeners the um, the um, uh, background on is how unusual it is for the prosecution to go to the judge and say that their cooperation deal has completely fallen apart with the defendant. How, how common is that in your experience?
1: In my experience, this is extremely unusual. We had a little hint that this might be coming. There was some reporting a week or 10 days ago from ABC discussing the fact that there was friction between the teams. That's not uncommon, where you see issues that have to be worked out between a cooperating witness and the prosecution. A total breakdown and this sort of a filing from prosecutors where they talk about a defendant who has lied on an entire range of... Topics in my experience happens extremely rarely.
0: Yeah, I have to say, Joyce, it, I, I've been racking my brain ever since this news broke. Certainly, I was I, I was a federal prosecutor for over nine years. It certainly never happened in any of my cases, and it didn't happen in any case that I could recall uh, during my time there. And I was in a pretty big office with a lot of prosecutors in a lot of cases. Um, you know, typically, you know, people who are cooperating want to continue to yeah. cooperate. They want to. Uh, tell the tell the truth and uh, be part of the cooperation and uh, and government team. And on the other side, generally, the prosecution is doing whatever they can to make it work because they want that cooperation to continue. So usually, both sides are on the same page. That clearly did not happen here.
1: No, and I think at least you know, in my experience, I know that this is true in Chicago too. Your old office prosecutors are very. clear. Clear with defendants who they're thinking about signing up as cooperating witnesses and a, a prosecutor and an agent usually a table full of people will give the defendant a very clear explanation and the explanation goes something like this we're expecting you to cooperate on everything not just the topic that you've been indicted under we're going to ask you questions You have to be truthful about everything. You can't hold anything back. There are no side deals. And if you lie to us, the deal is off. Your plea will still stand. You will still have pled guilty, but we will have no obligation to give you any special treatment. You know, that's what these folks are told when they're signed up. And that, I think, is one of the reasons that this sort of a situation is so, as you point out, remarkably rare. Exactly.
0: And, and one thing I, I, I didn't talk about online I'm, on the, the Twitter threads where I discussed this, but I, I think it's worth noting is you know this is this is not something that just happened where, um, you you know, th- there was a quick discussion, and this got thrown out there in a status report. You know, we had that prior status report where they said they were going to update the judge. There was certainly, I, w- I would say, extensive discussions between Mueller's team and Manafort's team. And, there, you know, if this was something where, Mo- for, for example, Manafort said something to the FBI that contradicted a document or some other evidence, and it was a, a single isolated uh, circumstance, I would think pr- prosecutors would give him the opportunity to explain that or try to refresh his message. Or, or confront him with that and, and get his explanation. Here, there either had to be such a pattern of deception that it was clear he was lying to them, or a- after they confronted him with evidence, he still maintained that, the, that the, the falsehoods were, in fact, the truth.
1: Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. You know, we expect, as prosecutors, to have our witnesses cooperate truthfully with us, we don't expect perfection. Sometimes people make mistakes. Sometimes they have bad memories. Sometimes there's an area where they're still very hesitant to give up the truth, and prosecutors will work with defendants. Sometimes that means that prosecutors have to reveal to folks that they're prosecuting that a cooperating witness wasn't completely truthful on the first go. No prosecutor likes to be in that position, but that's that's the obligation of prosecutors to be candid when that happens, but it's still something that can often be worked through. This looks like either, as you point out, a total breakdown or perhaps Manafort, who always gives the appearance that he thinks that he's the smartest guy in the room and he can work his way through any sort of nonsense that he puts out there and people will believe him. Maybe he simply refused to acknowledge reality when documentary evidence was put in front of him.
0: So one thing, Joyce, that people are wondering, some of my My Twitter followers have been asking, as you saw I posted, uh, for them to submit their questions. They're wondering whether or not the timing of this was in all related to the... Uh, questions that and answers that 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 uh, Donald Trump submitted recently uh, in you know that uh, you know I think it was very recently regarding collusion questions that Mueller had asked they want to know do we think that Mueller wanted to delay this in order to get Trump's questions in before this was revealed
1: that's a really interesting question we've seen at least Three distinct parts of the Mueller investigation happening on this timeline. Corsi alleges that he was having plea discussions with Mueller's team that fell apart. We had the questions, and now the Manafort plea agreement uh, uh, falling to pieces. I'm not sure that I've seen enough to let me answer that question one way or the other. Is it possible that there was something tactical going on here? Maybe. But I'm not certain that Mueller knew for certain when those Trump questions would have come back and, and would have. Held on for that. By the same token, it would be interesting uh, to, to have Trump's answers while he thought the Manafort plea agreement was still a live, viable thing. But we know from Rudy Giuliani's comments earlier today that they were at least aware, the president's team was at least aware that there was friction between prosecutors and Manafort. So I tend to believe that this is more coincidental than anything else.
0: That's right. I mean, I have to say, I think so too, Joyce. I mean, my answer was going to be I had a pretty, a pretty strong view on it that that Manafort's team seemed to be in much closer contact with Trump's team than you would ordinarily expect. You know, typically when somebody is a cooperator, they're one hundred percent on the government side. They're not communicating with potential subjects of the investigation. Here, we know that there's been some contact. Giuliani has been revealing that. Uh, what it seems to me is that. You know, you know. I I would assume that um, Mueller's is reading the same news articles we are, and they are aware of the same thing. And they would assume that whatever they were telling Manafort's team could potentially get passed along to Trump's team. Let, let me switch gears for a second now, uh, Joyce. Uh, one thing that I've been asked by a lot of people are why why did Manafort do this? And and I think you hinted at one possible suggestion. And I don't want to discount that. You know, there's been a lot of I think people have been coming to a lot of big conclusions. But one possibility is just that Manafort is a very foolish man. Uh, You know, criminals do foolish things. Typically, the reason that they got themselves involved involved in crime is because they made bad decisions. Manafort's made other bad decisions like, uh, you know, violating the conditions of his bond. It's possible he just made another bad decision here. I mean, obviously a very bad one. Um, But, of course, it is also possible that either, I would say, he had a a secret that he did not want to reveal so badly uh, that he was willing to risk a lifetime in prison for. It, or potentially he thought a pardon was on the way and this was the way to get it, either because of a conversation that had occurred or just because that was his strategic um, calculation. What do you think about his potential motivations for this? I think
1: it's too early for us to dismiss any of those as possibilities. We don't know enough yet. You know, Manafort looks to me um, like some other white collar sort of CEO level defendants that I've dealt with during my career. And these literally are the people who believe that they're the smartest guy in the room and that they can outwit prosecutors. And time and time again, you see them crash into reality when they're presented with evidence that shows that, in fact, they have not outwitted the prosecution. Um, Never seems to keep them from trying, though. And Manafort looks like someone who's just congenitally uh, disposed to commit crimes. Um, He, you know, his criminal career has been uh, long term. Uh, He is engaged in a lot of misconduct, and it doesn't seem to bother him. So I suppose that that's one possibility the other hand, given his age and the length of the sentence that he faces, it seems likely that this is essentially a, a life in prison sentence for him. Um, perhaps there's information prosecutors want from him that he feels like it would be so damaging either to him or his family to disclose uh, that he's unwilling to go there and that that's been the stumbling block. And then, of course, there's the pardon issue, which everyone is, is discussing. And I'm frankly not sure why pardon has become such an important issue. It seems to me that Manafort has pleaded guilty to tax charges. That makes it very likely that he could be indicted in the Commonwealth of Virginia, where the attorney general is a Democrat. Uh, He could be indicted on tax charges there, and Trump would not be able to pardon him. So I don't know that Pardon is the answer to all of his worries. I think, though, we'll have to wait and see what the answer is when uh, Mueller files the pleading he's promised us uh, ahead of sentencing.
0: I think that I think that's I think it's fair to say you know what, the other thing I will uh, I, I will say though you know I, just so people are aware it's not as simple I think a lot of folks who, who are listening to this I don't want to get them to get the impression that uh, the Democratic Attorney general would be able to just take uh, Manafort's plea agreement uh, or his statements uh, and just walk to the courthouse and be able to convict him it would take a lot of work uh, there's difference between paying your federal taxes and your state taxes um, I agree with you Joyce that Uh, Certainly a case can be made. Um, But if I was on Manafort's team and I did get a pardon, I would be thrilled to get rid of all the potential federal liability because obviously now we just we now we know there's more lying to the FBI and so on Um, and, and only face state liability because at least you got one one thing down. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's right. People always seem to assume that what prosecutors do, all of the sausage making is clean and easy, and it's not. Um, Folks in the state of Virginia would have to go back and make whatever case they could make, whether it's tax or bank or some other kind of a fraud. And there's also an interesting aspect of this issue that it's hard to parse because there's sort of a political metric here. But the statute of limitations for Manafort's crimes is at least five years. Um, If it's a conspiracy with a cover-up, it's five years from the last effort to cover up the conspiracy. It's possible that if Trump, you know, issues a pardon, there could be conduct that Manafort engaged in or continues to engage in that is not covered by that pardon that could then subject him to prosecution down the road. So pardon, I think, would cause Trump a lot of political issues. It might even trigger impeachment. I also don't think it's the get out of jail free card for Manafort that a lot of people think it might be.
2: And that's a question that a lot of the uh, followers you have on Twitter are asking you guys uh, for Joyce and for Notto, is whether or not you think that if he is pardoned, would he be released right away? But it sounds as though you're saying uh, that there's so much else here that that's not likely likely.
0: Well, actually, what I think Joyce is saying and that's why it's important for us to be yes. very clear. What Joyce is saying is not that he wouldn't be released because I think if he was pardoned of all the crimes that he's been convicted of so far. So far, <laughs> he would be released, but what Joyce is saying and it's an interesting point I think and this is this is why we have Joyce on this on this podcast because she's got all these interesting ideas. Her point is that there would be additional conduct that's part of this that ultimately could generate additional charges that 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 Trump hasn't pardoned him for. And and so you could imagine the next president, uh, a presidential administration, or, um, or you could imagine a Democratic state attorney general or some other lo- uh, state prosecutor prosecuting, prosecuting him for some of that conduct. Is that fair to say, Joyce?
1: I think that that's right. He could be released and then recharged by either another entity or by the federal government and find himself back in prison.
2: And what impact does the new Congress have with the the House of Representatives being overwhelmingly Democrat? Is it possible that uh, that Trump's ability to do anything going forward with any of this investigation is possible? So, well,
0: well, what I would say is certainly
2: it, it... it provides
0: a tool for Mueller. Um, so, in other words, well, not a tool. I shouldn't say that. That's that's a that's, shield, that's, maybe. That suggests that he's using it. No, what I think it means. What I meant by that is, you know, often, and I Joyce will understand what I'm talking about. There are often parallel proceedings that take place when you have a criminal investigation that can be very useful to a prosecutor. So, if your victim of your fraud is suing the guy who defrauded him, you sometimes the prosecutor you love to see that play out, see what's happening, and see what if the guy testifies or what documents are produced or what the positions that the parties take. And that can be, you know, it could be a lawsuit, like I suggested. It could be the SEC going after someone, uh, something that's not the the criminal proceeding. Here, if some of the people that Mueller is looking at are called before a Democratic House to testify, then— Mueller could sit back and listen to what they have to say, and then, you know, he might have additional questions later, or maybe they wouldn't talk to him later, but he would have the benefit of hearing kind of what they say in a different context where there is penalties for them lying.
1: Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. If if, um, I was hired to give legal advice to the House about how to conduct their investigations, I would say, let's. Stay in our lane. You know, Mueller is investigating criminal conduct. He will charge and, and prosecute anything that he finds. That's not our lane. Our lane is to investigate, engage in oversight, see if we need new legislation, you know, how can we fix the interference with our election problem? What do we need to do to make sure that the emoluments clause isn't being violated? Let's let's go do our job and investigate and engage in oversight. But if Mueller comes knocking on our door, wanting us to share what we find, then let's be fully cooperative within the boundaries of, of our legal obligations.
2: Some of the other questions that people have, as uh, in regards on your Twitter, or at least, are the threads that I'm reading. You put so much out there, Renato. People keep having a lot of questions. Um, so it, there, there's a lot that people want to know as far as whether or not Manafort set this up as a trap, and that, that came up a lot last night on my show. People are like, because you know, did he just ask things in order to trick him and trap him? I don't know if that's how a prosecutor's mind works. So you, oh, you the, guys, you guys talked about how Manafort just might be overly confident mm-hmm. and not realize that Mueller had all the answers already. Oh, it's a The
0: question is whether we we believe that Mueller and Mueller's team tried to trick Manafort? Yes. I do not believe that is the case. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. as Joyce and I talked about earlier, um, prosecutors want the cooperator to stay on their team. So you're trying to do whatever you can to help that person be successful. Like, help me help you. And and I think Joyce walked through earlier some of the warnings that are given. Is that, would you agree, Joyce? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Plus, Mueller is straight up and buy the book. You know, there's there's no underhanded trickery going on here. He's just conducting an investigation. And one thing it's important for people to know is prosecutors usually aren't all that invested in the outcome. You know, we follow the facts. We don't necessarily care about where they lead or steer them towards a conclusion. Our job isn't to get convictions. It's to uncover the evidence and make charging decisions based on that evidence. That seems to be very difficult difficult for people to credit in this incredibly politically charged environment that we live in. But Mueller has taken over on his team to special counsel's office prosecutors with, in some cases, legendary reputations. These are people who look at the law and look at the facts and aren't going to try to manipulate them or trick defendants in any way. The president can go on calling it a witch hunt. That's just not the case.
0: I I would I agree completely. And you know one thing that really resonates with me, Joyce, that you're saying is how you follow the facts, and that your job as a federal prosecutor is not to secure a conviction, but to do justice. And, and I was certainly. When I was trained and taught as a federal prosecutor, I was reminded, you know, there is that famous saying in the rotunda at the Justice Department about the, you know, the fact that the United States wins its point when justice has done its people in the courts. Uh, and the point of the prosecutor is to, is to do justice and to um, advance the, the interests of the United States of America and its people, not to necessarily get a conviction for the sake of getting a conviction. And at times in my career— I passed up on potential convictions because it wasn't in the interests of justice.
1: Some people might think that that language in the rotunda sounds corny or that it's something that people pay lip service to but don't believe. What people need to understand is that for, for career folks in the Justice Department, that's religion. And we're always very concerned about the integrity of cases, the integrity of our offices, because if we want juries to be able to believe us when we go into court and take evidence to them, we have to protect our credibility. So if you've got a case where You think the defendant is guilty, but your evidence isn't quite there. Exactly as Renato says, you stand back and you don't prosecute because we're concerned with justice, not with getting another you know notch in our bedpost because we've convicted another defendant.
0: You know, I think this brings me to a related point, Joyce, which is another thing that happened that otherwise might have been the biggest news today was all of the statements that have been coming out from Jerome Corsi, who. Has has himself reported. Obviously, we'll have to, you know, we'll we'll take that at face value uh, for the purposes of this. But it could be not accurate. But he's reported that he was offered a plea deal by Mueller. He turned it down. Now he's claiming all sorts of misconduct by Mueller, and he's he's been, you know, this Gestapo tactics and so forth. I will say, it seemed to me that what was happening was a pretty standard, um, uh, you know, uh, interaction with somebody who the prosecutor believes is committed a crime. Uh, What is your take?
1: Yeah, so the first thing here is to note that everything that we know about Corsi's situation comes from Corsi. None of it comes from Mueller. We don't know if it's true that they were pursuing a plea agreement with him. We just literally have no idea. So important to put that marker down. But assuming that it is true or that Corsi is at least giving us some version of the truth, you know, what a shocker that a defendant in a criminal case who believes that the government has evidence to prosecute him is going after the prosecutors and calling them Gestapo-like. That's never happened before to any prosecutor, right? I mean, this <laughs> is the me, standard and yeah. trade of a cornered bad guy defendant. Yeah, I,
0: I exactly right. Uh, especially when the stakes are high or when the person, you, you talked about those CEO types, you know, when I would go after people who did not feel that they uh, should have been Uh, investigated or indicted or prosecuted, it was sometimes, you know, they they would pull out all the stops. And, you know, as a defense attorney, I will tell you, sometimes my clients are trying to get me to pull out all the stops and you have to try to be ethical in what you're doing. But, you know, some people definitely push the bounds of that. Mr. Corsi isn't, I will note, is not acting through an attorney who would have ethical duties and has a reputation to protect. Uh, Mr. Corsi is acting on his own.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I, you know, I'm sure that you have this same reaction. We see these tweets from the president who talks about prosecutors destroying people's lives. A- and it's really fascinating. That's not what prosecutors do. They do prosecute people who've committed crimes and put them in jail. The president doesn't seem concerned about that when we're talking about people who are accused of drug trafficking or or gun violations or immigration violations who are prosecuted and their lives are off track and they go to prison. It's only when we prosecute you know, these sort of white-collar criminals who seem to surround this administration that it somehow becomes wrong. Corsi, in my mind, is just no different than any other person who's being looked at by prosecutors. He doesn't deserve special treatment. He shouldn't be treated worse than anyone else. I feel certain that when this sees the light of day, we'll find out that he's been treated fairly.
2: I know that uh, obviously a lot of what we're doing is speculation because we don't know what Mueller has. So, a lot of people online are doing, you know, trying to connect the dots, and I'm trying to keep track of what the dots are, right? Because we've got, <laughs> we've got, uh, we've got, uh, M- we've got Manafort and Papadopoulos. We've got Russia. We've got Assange, right? So, you know, you know, people are wondering: Does this mean then that Manafort knew that the Russians were going to hack, and that's why he met with Assange, and he wanted Assange to leak it? And then, what role does Jared cut? You know, would it- Jared and Donald Trump Jr.? I mean, that's too many dots, everybody.
0: Yeah. So, a couple things. I mean, first of all, let's let's talk about this Assange. Piece. I was going to segue to that at some point. Uh, you know, I should note that this is based on reporting from the Guardian, which is a newspaper in the United Kingdom. There's various sources that are cited there, including, I think, Ecuadorian intelligence. And it's worth noting that uh, Ecuador, the Ecuadorian embassy, is where Mr. Assange is staying. But I also know that some people have raised questions about it. I know, you know, I'm going to be on the PBS Newshour tonight, and they they don't want to talk about that because they're not sure they want to get confirmation about it. So, you know, one could call that into question. But assuming that that's true, I think it's very significant that you have Manafort meeting with Assange. I mean, first of all, we don't know, has he been truthful about that to Mueller, to the FBI and and, and so forth. So that's one thing. But even aside from that, it seems like, you know, between that and the and the Stone investigation, which seems to be progressing based on what we've seen publicly, it seems like Mueller is closing in on being able to... You know potentially prove at the very least that people had knowledge in advance of what WikiLeaks was doing, which in and of itself is not a crime, but criminals usually don't let uh, outsiders in on their criminal activity unless they're in on it in some way so it, it certainly it, it's not enough on its own to prove criminality, but in my mind it it definitely would be an important uh, step in that direction.
1: So I think that you're right, that the dots here are all over the map, and it's really hard to keep track of them and to know how they connect up. Um, Renato's correct, this Guardian story is intriguing, but there is a huge, if it's Hanging in a bubble over the top of it Until we know whether it can be Confirmed You know, This is the kind of lead prosecutors Like to follow up on to see if there's Hard evidence that they can use to prove And if it turns out to be true It will be I think a turning point in this Investigation because it is What helps us center all of those Dots that we've been trying to keep Track of. Mueller has had this Steady drumbeat. He has Wound up to this last Big indictment where We've got Russians accused of hacking the DNC, and we've got at least some information in that indictment that there are Americans who are involved. Roger Stone, but they haven't yet been indicted. And so, where Mueller seems to be headed is to making a determination one way or the other about his central mission: were there people on the Trump campaign? who were aware of what Russia was doing? Was there a conspiracy to try to defeat the integrity of the U.S. election process? And it seems that that's where we are right now at ground zero for that inquiry.
0: I think that I think that's right. And, you know, it's interesting on the Stone side of things. It seems like a lot of the question uh, is whether or not, based upon what we hear from Corsi, which, of course, as you pointed out, very uh, biased uh, narrator there. uh, But, you know, it seems like some of the focus is on what Stone told the Congress and whether or not Stone was lying to Congress. I should note that that's a lot easier to prove than proving that somebody aided and abetted a, you know a computer hacking scheme or participated in a conspiracy to defraud the United States for example
1: yeah absolutely much easier charges to take to trial.
2: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just trying to, again, I'm, I'm trying to keep track of the maps and uh, all the connections that people are trying to make. And, you know, people are going to say, you know, I don't know if you guys covered this because you guys are so great with the legal explanations and I'm just trying to keep up with all the information. But was there still a connection between Trump's legal defense team and Manafort's? Wasn't there a connection there mm-hmm. Is it, as far as uh, working together? Are they still working together? So
0: that's and it, that's a really interesting question, Patty. You stumbled on, yeah. I think, a real interesting one. Do you want to take that one, Joyce?
1: Well, the short answer is there was a joint defense agreement um, among uh, Manafort, Trump, and others. Corcy, interestingly enough, has said today that he has a joint defense agreement with Trump. Don't know if that's true. But this is this sort of uh, uh, investigative agreement that permits defendants to work together when they have similar interests without losing uh, their their privilege to shield certain information from disclosure to the government. It would be extremely unusual for that sort of an arrangement to continue after Manafort had made the decision to cooperate with Mueller. In fact, if I were the prosecutor, my immediate reaction when that news first surfaced was that it couldn't be true because I would have treated that alone as a violation of Manafort's plea agreement and would have been having some very serious conversations with his lawyers and, and you know, might have just seen that without any further lies or, or other problems as a basis for abrogating the agreement. So I've never been entirely sure what to make of that
0: yeah if I was the prosecutor in that situation, i would have uh, so what I would have done is potentially taken the position that there was no common interest anymore between Manafort and Trump, and so therefore those conversations potentially would not be subject to a common interest privilege, and I would essentially make the the threat that I would seek uh, to re- to have those conversations revealed um, and I think that alone that looming in the background would have a very significant impact because just so folks understand, you know, my conversations with my clients are privileged when I represent them in a criminal investigation. Other people who are involved in the same investigation are entitled to have their attorneys. Their attorneys can have conversations with me. And under what's called the common interest doctrine, those the, the, those conversations can be have a privilege that maintains with those, if we're on the same side. But if if we're all under investigation, and my client, our clients are all under investigation by the government, and my client flips, um, and is now on the government's team, it's just very hard uh, for somebody on the other side to say, "Well, I still have a joint defense with this guy is flipping." The lawyer, the guy is flipping because he's required, as as you pointed out earlier, Joyce, to the to cooperate against anybody. And so potentially in this case. Manafort could be asked questions about Trump. Uh, and I don't see how a lawyer could ethically tell his client that those conversations are protected or tell the other side that those conversations are protected and they're, and they're on the same side when the client is a cooperator.
1: I think you're exactly right. And if it turns out that this is true, that Manafort was continuing to talk to Trump, I'd be willing to bet that exactly the sort of conversation that you described, the prosecutors making that threat that they would seek to reveal those conversations, we'll find out that someone on Mueller's team had that conversation with Manafort's lawyers.
2: I, mean, I have to say another, another aspect to this? I'm reading through all the comments on Renato's uh, Twitter feed is uh, the thought that Manafort's seems to be really afraid of Russia. People are like, is he afraid that they're going to try to reach... Maybe he feels threatened by them. Is that a possibility? I mean, as sort of, uh, I don't know, born identity as that sounds to people, uh, other people think, you know, well, look at how many, you know, whether it's a journalist or, you know, the folks that were poisoned in England. Uh, is it possible he's afraid of uh, of Russian operatives? Well, I look, if I... Just to, just to throw that out there. Yeah,
0: look, we don't know the extent of Manafort's uh, involvement with Russia or what he knows. We certainly know that he was clearly tied in with a Russian oligarch. I think there was some money. There was some very substantial money owed there. He was representing Russian interests in the Ukraine, so he definitely was tied to them. How much he knows, how important of a player he is, we don't know. But I will say this, um, you know, certainly when I was a federal prosecutor, um, the safety of myself and witnesses was very important. Uh, In cases that my office had, we had witnesses murdered during my time there. Uh, My life was threatened multiple times. One time I was in protective custody for a, a, a long period of time. One of my colleagues had a hit put on her uh, and had, you know, that the, the the defendant was arrested, fortunately, before the act was completed. Um, but... You know, so there is definitely it's definitely a serious thing. You know, we recently saw just yesterday there was a cell phone snu- smuggled into the El Chapo a trial. You know, that's the sort of case where certainly you, you would be concerned. If if I was Paul Manafort's lawyer and he expressed concerns to me, I would I would take that seriously and I would go to Mueller's team okay. and talk to them about it. Um, but I do think that's very highly speculative. It's one of those things. There's a lot of stuff. You know, folks. On uh, one so one thing that I'll, I'll reveal a little bit of a secret. Uh, uh, when I write these Twitter threads, I get hundreds and hundreds of comments. I actually try to read them all, but I only respond to certain ones. And some of those that I don't respond to is because the answers are so the the, the my answer to you is it's so speculative that I couldn't Even couldn't speculate <laughs> right. And and I, I, how do you feel about that, Joyce?
1: Yeah, I think that that sounds right. Um, this certainly has the makings of a really good Jason Bourne novel. You know, you could spin it a lot of different directions. If Manafort was really scared of Russians, it's hard to believe he would have entered into a plea agreement in the first place. He might have just taken his lumps and gone to prison for whatever sort of sentence he received. But also, I tend to agree with you that if he is afraid and looking for safe harbor, his best safe harbor for both himself and his family would be protection from the federal government.
0: So you know talking a little bit more about um this assange story that came out today uh you know one thing i um I wonder about is you know do, where what what do we where do we think? um the what, what are what, what directions do we see the Mueller investigation going from here on out in other words you know what I have seen when, when people have been asking me you know where do I think things are going to go it seemed to me like Mueller was working towards an indictment of stone and/or Stone's associates this Manafort uh, news today seems to fit along actually that same vein of what he's been investigating with stone that a lot of this is all about WikiLeaks and those emails and so forth uh, what 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 do you see uh, based upon what we know publicly?
1: I think it's very easy for us to forget how unusual this investigation has been. It has moved so much more quickly than any sort of complicated case like this that I've ever seen has moved. I think sometimes we believe that Mueller's grand finale is just around the corner. And, you know, that might be true. He has a good team. They're working hard. They're very focused. By the same token, it seems far more likely to me that they're continuing to move up the chain and see what they find. And that Roger Stone is another link in that chain. He may be a key piece, and he could be a piece that leads to the end game. I think at some point we will see sort of a grand finale indictment, maybe similar to what we saw in the Watergate situation involving unindicted co conspirators. <laughs> But I think that we should let the investigation unfold and take place in due time. You know, it took Ken Starr and the Clinton investigation years and years to get to the blue dress. Here we've got complicated international financial dealings and potential collusion between a campaign and a foreign government. That evidence doesn't come together overnight. And what we really want is for prosecutors to accept all of the appropriate avenues and reach conclusions as quickly as possible, but to not feel rushed to get to a result that leaves important business unfinished.
0: And that I think that is a, a wise. I always try to ex- tell folks when I'm talking to them, either on Twitter or uh, or or whether it's television, Twitter, or in person uh, here talking to people in Chicago, um, that really we we don't know what Mueller is going to find. We need to be patient, and we we should accept the results of his investigation, no matter what it does uh, turn up, because you know we can't prejudge exactly what it is he is going to find. Uh, I will say, uh, I, I to me, Roger Stone, I. Agree Seems like an intermediary piece. He seems like the sort of person that, uh, if I was the prosecutor, I would be working towards it to try to, you know, get a conviction there and potentially flip him on others. Uh, I do, I do think one interesting question that we will probably never know the answer to is, what does Mueller's team lose by losing the potential cooperation of Manafort in order to get the the co- cooperation deal, Manafort's team had to convince Mueller's team that there was some person or persons that they could provide valuable information on that would either secure a new prosecution or would, you know, greatly increase the um, the likelihood of getting a conviction as to a person they were already planning to charge or looking to charge. And, and I don't know if we'll ever know uh, what the, the fallout is from this uh Uh, losing the cooperation of Manafort?
1: So I'd love to know what you think about this idea. I've never been convinced that Manafort's value was as a witness. You know, we saw how much... the jury in Alexandria, Virginia had during the Manafort trial with Gates. Manafort himself is the sort of witness that juries could have a really bad reaction to. It always seemed more likely to me that the value that he had for prosecutors was the story that he could tell them behind the scenes, that they could then go out and find other witnesses and other documentary evidence to prove and to sustain. seems like he could explain a lot of key questions that would be puzzling prosecutors. What was it that led to changing the Republican Party platform and softening its stance towards Russia? Um, those sorts of questions that Manafort was on board for. What happened in the Trump Towers meeting? Prosecutors already have all of that information. They've been talking to Manafort exhaustively. So it may be that they got a lot of benefit out of him and that the only person who loses as this plea agreement falls apart is Manafort himself.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I have never in, you know, I've never in my... Um, career, extended an offer of a cooperation deal to someone unless I thought that they had testimony that they would provide that would uh, be, you know, useful to the government in some way. And I don't recall, you know, the practice, at least in in my former office in Chicago, was that we were looking for testimony and we had very, you know, kind of very specific things we were looking for. In other words, testimony that would lead to one of the two things that I mentioned earlier. Now, it's possible that they... In the process of talking to Manafort, realized that he wasn't going to be a good witness, um, and all they were going to get is all this intel and leads, and, and which could be extremely valuable, as you point out. But would you ever extend the plea offer to or a cooperation deal to someone who you thought was was not a good witness, or would not you would not use the witness, but just purely on leads and info and intel and that sort of thing?
1: So it's an interesting question, and I tend to think that that you're right, and and maybe I'm trying to put a little bit too much shine on this one, but I'll tell you, I have actually made a cooperation offer like that, and interestingly enough, it happened in the context of a historical conspiracy where we needed to understand a lot of what had happened when people met for the first time, their course of conduct in the years before law enforcement became aware of what they were doing, and it was very helpful to have that sort of background narration information. It was not a witness that we wanted to put on the stand for a lot of reasons, including extensive criminal history, um, which never scares me away from a potential witness, I should say, because I always like to say that defendants choose uh, the witnesses against them, not the prosecution. But in this situation, I wasn't looking for testimony. I did need background. You know, it could be that Manafort had a lot of information to provide about historical financial dealings, relationships, when people met. That could have been valuable, but like you say, that would be the rare situation.
0: Well, you know, every rule the prosecutors tell you they have, there's always an exception. They often don't put that uh, out out in front, but but those exceptions uh, do ex- uh, do exist out there. You know, one thing I will say too, um, you know, uh, that is sort of a reaction to one of our pre- recent comments is that it sur- sure seems like these folks who have these joint defense agreements with the Trump team. Are, are breaking deals with Mueller. You know, it's not, it, it is unusual for um, for uh, someone to back out of a plea deal, but it's not that unusual. People get cold feed. Uh, that's a, a re- somewhat regular occurrence. What happened with Manafort, very, very, very very unusual, extremely unusual. It'll be interesting to see if more of that uh, happens, if more people who are in these joint defense arrangements start, um, you know, thumbing their nose at Mueller, uh, it could establish a back that could potentially be of interest to Mueller.
1: I think that's right. You know, Mueller is obviously interested in obstruction and looking at potential obstruction charges. Could there be something here? Could there be dangled pardons? We don't really know the answer. I suspect Mueller knows a lot more than we do, but I'm certain that they're investigating and always alert to that possibility, just given the history here.
2: I do have another question from uh, from Twitter. I I have so many questions. I'd rather just organize them through all of your followers. But if there are pardons, <laughs> if there are pardons coming for anybody, people want to know: Is it possible the Supreme Court could be involved and block those pardons? I don't even know how that would work. Well, it's never happened no. before. Yeah. no. Okay, never happened before. Ask an answer. I love that. Was great. It's good to have a, uh, the ability to the have a short answer. Pardon power is
1: absolute under the Constitution. The only thing he can't do is pardon impeachment.
0: Yeah, I mean that is exactly what the Constitution says. I mean, it would be interesting to me. You know, you could imagine a really interesting hypothetical case scenario that a law professor could write, uh, where you had the credit of criminal president who just you right. know, engaged in white. You know, would, would whatever. You know. Engage in widespread crime and constantly, or
2: witness tampering, or something like that.
0: But that's never happened, and that's why. So my answer was like, "Well, it's never happened, you know." But yeah, but Joyce is like, "No, yeah." And I think she's practically speaking, that she's got the right answer on that one, (laughs) um, as a practical matter. You
1: know what? What that leaves out, it's sort of like the whole question of Jim Comey's firing. Trump certainly has the right and the power to fire folks who work for him in that sort of a capacity, but sometimes you can do something that you're entitled to do but do it with the sort of intent that makes it a crime. So, for instance, if you had corrupt intent and wanted to obstruct an investigation when you fired Director Comey, the firing itself could technically be okay, but you could still be committing a crime. Interesting question, whether that could be true of pardons. Sure, the president has pardon power, but if he uses it with the intent to obstruct an investigation, could it be, for instance, an overt act in a conspiracy? And that, I think, is unprecedented and we've not seen that discussed before by the supreme court.
0: Yeah, that is something I've I've debated that with Alan Dershowitz before I believe. And you know, one example I think would that would be a pretty solid ground is if a president for example was trading pardons for money like Bribery. So essentially, the, right, right, you're selling pardons on the street. Um, that would that would I think be a fairly obviously criminal. The harder questions are the ones that you just mentioned, and I think it's beyond uh, our ability to explore in this program. But it's it, these are the sort of interesting questions that law professors like to. You know, talk about and explore, and they're very interesting. Uh, but I think, uh, and I hope, that we aren't going to face uh, such uh, unusual and crazy circumstances. Although, I, every time I say I that, I was going to
2: say, what would be different <laughs> from the crazy and unusual
0: circumstances we're under now? Indeed. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us, Joyce. This has been an amazing conversation yet again. Such a pleasure having you. And I will tell you what you're, you're—you're so popular with our listeners, and it, you know they—they they were so excited to have you on again. Thank. you you so much.
1: Thanks. I'm honored to be your first repeat guest. Um, (laughs) I'm a constant listener because I learn
2: a lot from y'all. So thanks for including me. We are so grateful for your talent and for your time. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic.